0: take stock of your emotional health Hmm. because the highs are really high and the lows are really low and it's very isolating
1: Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. Um, I'm your host, um, the founder and of uh, and managing partner of Miller IP Law, where we help startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. Um, I also am a serial entrepreneur, so I love to, to talk with and uh, to help uh, startups and small businesses. Um, today we have on the uh, show Anne, and Anne will tell you a little bit more about herself to give you a quick overview. She uh, started a logistics company. Did some of the, uh, jumped over to a bit the food industry, has been in the life sciences, uh, incubator at MIT, and now she's uh, working with some animal projects. So, um, Ann, welcome.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: So, why don't we just, uh, I did a very quick intro, but why don't you introduce yourself, tell everybody a little bit about your journey and where you started, and and, uh, then we'll see where you ended up today.
0: Yeah, Thanks. I was really interested in languages and travel, which is how I got into international shipping and logistics Mm -hmm. way back uh, when I got out of business school. Um, I did that for a few years, and then 9-11 happened. So that was um, a transition that happened to me, and I sold my part of that company. And then after that, I got into food import and distribution. I acquired two Um, companies one after the other and we imported products from Europe and South America and that was really interesting because I love the food business and then
1: I know it's early on the conversation but I'll cut you off for just a second in the sense that so you had your logistics company and first of all just for those I always hear the word logistics but maybe give me the 30 second overview what is a logistics company or how does that work or what do you actually do so
0: it, it was freight forwarding so it's basically a travel agent for freight so, if a company in the U.S. is buying uh, furniture from Spain or Italy, we made the travel arrangements for freight. Okay. So, it was so, a buyer and oh, a buyer.
1: All right, that is a great. Ter- that's probably more than I knew from from the industry prior to that. So, thank you. So, sure. if I were to take that, and because you were a little bit, we have companies that are facing, you know, COVID and some of the shutdowns and everything else, and almost a, not, you know, get as different than 9/11. Not trying to compare in that sense, but in the sense that. You know, something that you weren't anticipating that you wouldn't have ha- expected happened to you. And it wasn't really, you know, to so long you're outside of your control, how did you deal with that or decide, okay, here's the time to sell or the time to get out of that company and start a new one? How did you kind of decide to make that transition?
0: Well, our office was downtown next to the World Trade Center. Mm. So we went through a lot of difficulties, but people still needed to buy products from overseas and ship products. So it was more of um, a personal choice. Then I went to culinary school, um, which led me to further my interest in food. So I, um, after a while, I purchased, acquired a food import company. And some of the clients were clients of mine in the shipping business. Okay. So it's kind of a natural segue in, in some sense.
1: So you went from logistics and then, it, so the food industry, you're doing that over there. That was with, because you started, it was a culinary school kind of a person, Personal interest. And wanted to learn yeah, how to cook a little yeah. bit better. And, okay,
0: yeah, exactly. So,
1: and then you said, "Hey, I like doing the the food and uh, cooking of that enough that I'll jump over to that business."
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we imported huge amounts of olive oil, balsamic vinegar, Mediterranean products, and oh. sold them to companies here in the states and North America, Canada as well. Okay.
1: All right, so then, uh, not to, so I interjected into your story, so I'll let you get back to it. I was just curious on the on uh, how that came about. So go ahead.
0: So we, I did that for a few years, and then um, the recession hit, and I got out of that very, you know, after a few years. And that that was interesting, but that was before food was really sexy. Now food is sexy, but we were just doing large amounts of um, Mediterranean food and South American okay. food, and then I got into um, life sciences. So that's part of my academic background, science and business. I -hmm. ran an incubator uh, affiliated with MIT.
1: So how did you, so, I mean, so how did you make that jump now? So you went from logistics, food industry made sense. And then how did you get into the life science incubator? And then how, what was your kind of your, how did you get connected up with MIT in between all of that?
0: Um, Just personal networking. I met someone who was looking for, uh, someone to execute on uh, IP,
1: hmm.
0: educational IP. Okay. And it was always something, I was always interested in science and uh, my business background led me to this uh, incubator.
1: Okay. So, and you hit on a word that I, you know, I've always biased towards, which is IP, but how did you, you know, and, and for those that, you know, that are new to the episode, IP generally includes, you know, patents, trademarks, and copyrights. So did you have a background in IP or just had an interest or you'd done it before in your other companies or how did you, you know, what sparked the interest in that that area?
0: I had no experience with IP at all, but Mm. I was going to bring uh, New York capital, venture capital to um, uh, educational intellectual property that was sitting in uh, Massachusetts, anywhere in the life sciences that we could um, execute on the IP okay and build companies from through it
1: so when you got into the incubator because you know incubators have a lot of it's you know it's a little bit of a buzzword in the sense that you hear a lot of people that everything from not you know i've heard incubators or help your product get your product off the ground to productize to help you sell to you know monetize things to so when you say incubator you know what what did you do with the incubator what did the incubator do
0: if it was based on life sciences, as I said. So if someone came with a, um, a disease and they needed to uh, find a cure or treatment, we would look for intellectual property and try and develop something and bring in the funding to bring it to fruition, like a treatment okay. for melanoma, for example, or an orphan disease, something like so- that.
1: So, did you go out? So, somebody come with you? You come or come to you with an idea, or you know, or with a project? Would you go out and look to acquire IP for that yes. business, or okay?
0: Yeah, and and execute, bring it to make a company out of it.
1: So, how did you go about identifying or finding that IP, or deciding which one was uh, worthwhile to pursue and make a company out of?
0: So, we would search um, universities mm-hmm. for the appropriate IP. Okay. whether it's Stanford, MIT, Zurich, Caltech, whoever was working on the topic.
1: Mm. And so does, because uh, I, and I've, and I've worked with a few different companies to get into the universities. And what was your experience with the universities? Was it, because, you know, some universities they are very heavy on IP and they will file a whole bunch and then they kind of don't know what to do with it, so to speak. And so then it kind of sits there and collects dust until That's somebody exactly reaches out. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. Okay.
0: They don't know how, uh, the, for the most part, it just sat there and it was very valuable information, but it was not executed upon.
1: Okay. So then how did, so you go to reach out, and you know, I'm sure this is old hat to you, but I'm, I'm interested in it just a bit. So you'd reach out to universities and say, did you reach out and do your homework beforehand? You say, we have these, you have these patents that we think are valuable. Or did you more say, hey, we're go- we've got some, you know, Life science or products or, you know, people that want to do something in this industry, what do you have in there? And then kind of comb through what they had available. Because, you know, you can almost do it either way, right?
0: Yeah, you can. And it depends because for the most part, the the university owns the IP. Hmm. And then you have to go through different kinds of agreements and licensing arrangements. And sometimes there's, you know, and an, the name of a person attached to it as well. So by the time you get to monetize this, it's it's a long Detailed, difficult process.
1: Okay, and then one last question that will keep on your story. So, how did you? And again, doing in every university seems to be a bit different. How did you go about evaluating the IP? Because I mean, some universities they you know they don't even know how to start to evaluate it or know what it's worth or did you set up a licensing agreement or how did you kind of as you're working with the university and saying hey you've got this valuable ip that we'd like to help to you know productize or bring to market how did you kind of go about with those deals and figure out what was a, a fair analysis because i you know you've got I've, I've and the reason i ask is sometimes i'll have clients that are almost saying hey I've, i want to go out and, and see take pick up kind of the cool ideas that the universities are working on and then to make it to market or you get students or, you know, graduate students, but they have absolutely no idea how to evaluate it. So how do you go about um, evaluating what that, that, what that's worth?
0: Yeah. Each case is different. You, you built, we build a company around each um, particular case uh, hmm. and then each case was a different scenario. Like the a scanner for melanoma to detect change in the skin was a different business a different model of um mammography was a different business and there sure. is a different life cycle for the for the products to get to market so it's, each thing is a different example okay
1: fair enough so then or i keep interrupting because i just find the interesting oh no, some of that uh pretty interesting points so you did that for a while you worked with the incubators and then kind of what was the, the next step of your journey
0: so i was commuting from new york city to cambridge um and then as i said these would take long life cycles for businesses. um i needed my autonomy so it was time to move on i -hmm. invented i live in new york city as i said um a device it was Mm -hmm. an an idea i had and i said let me just see if i can do this Um, a clean compostable solution to dog waste for urban pet parents it was in my head I am not a mechanical engineer. Um, I have a science background and a business background. So I thought, okay, let me see if I can really do this. So verbally, I tested it on people and they liked the idea. Uh, Mm. And I found several engineers to work with. I went through quite a few engineers. Um, This is all self-funded, bootstrapped. And then I went through a business accelerator with my idea and Mm. successfully completed it. And have a a patent pending product now, and that's where I am. Cool, and it's called Curbicus, which means um, the word in Latin for urban is "urbicus," and the "c" in front of it means "curb your urban pet."
1: Okay, that's a catchy name. now we're going to jump back to a little bit because you know you went so let's say you, you were working with the life science incubator and you're at MIT you know or work you're in association with MIT um you know that's certainly you know anytime you see MIT or Cambridge or Harvard or any of the, the the major law or schools you're going to always you know have a bit of cachet in that so as you're working with that and you said you mentioned a little bit you kind of got to where you wanting to have a bit of autonomy and working on your own but how did this how did the idea come, okay, I'm going to work go from life science incubators to working on compostable solutions for dog waste? I mean, that seems like a good jump, you know, a major jump or a different direction. So how did you make, how did you come up with the idea? And then what made you decide that that was worthwhile to pursue? Uh,
0: it was a ma- It's a major jump. Yes, it is. Um, picking up dog waste. <laughs> but it was the pain point that I've always had, you know, I'm born and raised in, in New York City, and it was always been a pain point for me. So, The first idea was just to, was, um, I don't have a dog right now, Uh, just angry at, you know, people not doing the right thing. So I wanted to solve the problem by coming up with something to make them do the right thing. And then doing my research, I realized that, um, you know, plastic is not the solution. Plastic bags, biodegradable, certainly not the solution because there are so many different definitions of biodegradable. So the, the real solution is compostable bags and then um, finding a, a way to compost the waste and use it as fertilizer in urban parks. So it's a completely circular solution.
1: So where so was, was the pain point come from? You'd walk down the street and after dogs, you know, people that had walked their dogs and so they hadn't picked, picked up after them. Exactly. And kind of got, got tired of, you know, all the, the waste left over along the streets or on the curb from people that uh, weren't picking up?
0: Yes, exactly. And now it's it's particularly timely because dog waste can contain harmful bacteria, viruses, salmonella, E. coli, and we can't just treat waste like, like it's nothing because it can transmit disease.
1: Sure. No, that, that completely makes sense. And, and to your point, it's probably timely with everything else going on. So then you said, okay, I'm tired of this pro- or problem. I, you know I want to do something about it. Then, you know, what, what was the transition between leaving the incubator and saying, okay, I'm going to do this as a startup. Did you work, you know, work them in parallel or start to work the idea or, you know, work out at nights and evenings, or you just said, Hey, I think this is a great enough idea. I'm going to jump all in and, you know, bootstrap it from the get go. Or how did you make that transition?
0: I, I said, uh, you know, if anything, I have to give it a hundred percent. Otherwise no one's going to really believe it. Hmm. And it sounded crazy coming from me, like a dog poop vacuum kind of thing, <laughs> but people enough people said that's a great idea okay
1: so. so then you have the idea you start to work on it you said that you go to a few different engineers and what what was the experience with the engineers or what made you decide to go from one to because i mean i get the i i hear everything from and you know or at least from i hear it from clients and that you can go to everything from invent help you can go to online and you can you know try and hire one that's a Um, you know, contractor, you know, that works in India, you can work one that's local, you can do it. So how did you go, first of all, find your engineers? And then what, how did you end up finding the right one for you?
0: Um, I worked with a group called Collaborism that's no longer in existence. I've been doing this for three years. Uh, Mm -hmm. They match um, entrepreneurs with engineers. And I, I, my frustration with them was that, um, and I kept going through their engineers, that I had a vision in my head that they kept telling me it's not going to work that way. And hmm. I, if it's in my head, it's, I'm going to make it work. So they finally, I think I was on the sixth engineer who now um, is going to be my co-founder because hmm. he really stuck with me. And we, for three years later, he's um, he's working with me.
1: Oh, cool. And so then,
0: we've gotten, um, we worked, sorry, with a, um, an engineer from Cornell. We, I have t- uh, engineering teams from different schools hmm. because um, I'm applying for grants. I got a small grant from MIT, a small grant from Penn State, and uh, master's engineering students are working with us also.
1: Okay. And did that, did that grant system kind of come through as you did work with the incubator at MIT, or was that just happen to no, be?
0: Independently. You
1: know, unrelated. All right. Fair enough. So then you finally find an engineer. So the one question I have is, so maybe you can explain your product a bit first and then I'll ask my question. But so you have the device that helps to, excuse me, um, you know, pick up dog poo for lack of a better word and uh, you know, make it so it's compostable and so people will actually clean up after the pets. But how does the device work? Or how is it different than just a plastic bag or even just a bag and, and picking up after your dog? What makes yours better?
0: Okay, so currently the uh, MVP prototype is three uh, printed on a 3D printer.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, it's a high-end lifestyle branded device. So it looks cool. It's red. Mm. Um, it looks like an urban like branded product that you'd want to be carrying around. So it's lightweight. It weighs um, less. It's. I wish I could show it to you, but I'd left New York City in a rush and I don't have it with me. It's Sorry. like 12 inches long. <laughs> and it has a button and it, it's a vacuum and you put a compostable bag in it and you just bend over, pick it up and it, it stays closed as, and, and then you eject it when you get to the bin.
1: Okay. And it so has a
0: sensor it, that knows when you've picked up all the waste.
1: Hmm, okay. So then you almost have, so first step is you have a device, that's be, you know a vacuum that will pick it up in the essence for you and put it in a compostable bag. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And then you take that, you'll go to a nearby bin. And I, I think when we talked before, you talked a little bit about how you'll also have, you'll, you're working to have specific bins or bins that they can then drop that in. So it can be, because yeah. com- otherwise, if you do, you get a compostable bag, but you put it in the normal trash, it's not going to do any, you're not going to do any composting with that. And it'll go right. to the normal landfill, right? So.
0: That would be better than plastic bags and better mm-hmm. than biodegradable bags, but it's still not my entire vision.
1: So how do you and so when you have this idea and you're looking to or change the market, how do you get how do you get people's buy-in? Right. So a lot of the reason, or at least, and we do have a dog. I'm in the I'm a lot more of the country, so I'm not as much in the city, but we'll still walk around and we do the same thing. We'll take a bag, you know, we'll we'll pick up after the dog and then we'll throw it in the garbage, as most other people typically. If they pick up after the dog, but they'll you know that's what you'll do. So how do you you know change a bit of mindset of getting people to buy in or wanting to first of all pick up after their dog. And then second of all, say, Hey, this is a much better product. How do you kind of start to educate or get people's buy-in as far as in the market?
0: Exactly. So we're trying to be the thought leader. We're trying, first of all, we're creating a space, right? Mm. And then by having a device for dog waste, and then we're being thought leaders in the space. So I have several interns for the past couple of years, creating content Mm. about how pernicious dog waste can be and how dangerous it can be. And then, um, the gross factor, like who wants to do that? Bend sure. over and pick up dog waste, right? And now the big thing that in New York City is people are shamed into picking it up, right? Because you stand there and you look at them and say, "What are you waiting for?" And then when they once they pick it up, they just dump the bag on the curb. They don't even make it to the corner.
1: Hmm. So, so then, we're trying to educate well,
0: people about the bag. You know, plastic is banned in New York City. Okay. And biodegradable, people don't even know what that
1: means. So what is the difference between, and I, 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 I'm guilty as everybody else, what's the difference or between biodegradable versus compostable? They're,
0: biodegradable has uh, lots of different def, different definitions depending on what it's made of. Compostable, biodegradable bags can sit in landfills for years, even hundreds of years, depending on what they're made of. Hmm. And then so the compostable bags uh, will break down, but they really uh, do need to be composted properly. Okay,
1: so then you you compost it. So then let's so you impl- it sounds like you almost have a two stage or a two phase project, right? Where one yeah. is, is come up with the device, get people to buy in. You know, the compostable bag is certainly better than plastic or even the biodegradable ones that can take a very long time to decay or to break down. And so then you're getting one is getting people to use the device with the compostable bag you know, at least that way there, there is better for the environment. And then two is rolling out the garbage, you know, almost the area where they can put it in a, a specific bin where then that, that will actually be used for composting. So I imagine the device sales is almost, how do you get, or what's the plan or, or maybe it's still in the works. Uh, now, you, how do you get buy-in? Cause I would have made, and I am ignorant a little bit about it. So do you have to go to the city and, and get permission or how do you get the bins across the the state if you're deciding? Yeah, I'm
0: working with that now with okay. the Department of Sanitation. I'm, I'm, I've am i spoken to them a few times, but this is going to take a while. I I just want people to pick up after their dogs. That's step number one and educate them about the hazards of dog waste.
1: Okay, fair enough. So so then the question I'll ask, so are you ever going to get a dog or you have any desire to get a dog? Yes,
0: especially now I do. <laughs> being quarantined and bored out of my mind <laughs> I would love to have a dog yeah
1: no I, I that's interesting so I was reading an article a few days ago that the actually you know you have dog shelters and that and typically they're almost overrun with too many animals too many pet or pets you know there was cats or dogs or other things and yet with COVID coming up the animal or the animal shelters actually are running. I mean, in a good way, but they're they're placing all the animals and they're running out in the sense that everybody now wants an animal or someone to keep the company or something yes, to do as so they're mm-hmm. quarantined in. So it almost then makes uh, the the usefulness of your product or the the act you know the desire for people to have it even greater. So that maybe yeah. it will help to to further launch things and to motivate people. Well, cool. So then we're to jump into that. So you get all the way through. So where is it at today, as far as and I know you touched on it briefly, but where are you at in the far of the process and launching it and getting it going and and how's that been for you?
0: Uh, we have a working prototype um, as of today. We had a little delay shipping parts and things because of the situation, but we have a working prototype. The launch may be a little delayed because of all of this, and. I'm, we may do a Kickstarter. I'm not quite sure yet, but we're, um, we have, as I said, just the working prototype, the website. Uh, we're educating consumers with in- information. Okay. And so uh, when do
1: you, when do you anticipate to launch? Or is that still a little bit up there unknown as uh, you've had to hit delays and other things or when's kind of the, the soft launch?
0: Um, I would say hopefully by September, okay. depending what's going on right now.
1: <laughs> always introduces a little bit more chaos or, or unknowns into the equation. Yeah. So okay. Well, cool. Well, that uh, that sounds like it is you know not in the too distant future. So then one other question. One other question. Then we'll hit on the two last questions I always ask at the end of the podcast. So you mentioned you've been at this. Was it three years or, or since you've yeah. uh, you started mm-hmm. on the journey? And so is it you know? And it sounds like you're bootstrapped. It you're 100% owner and you haven't taken any investor dollars. Is that right? Right. So how's that been? I mean, the bootstrapping is always hard. And then doing it for three years. And how do how do you balance that? You know, if you're is it mostly been, you know, apply for grants or go to the universities or, you know, go through the government? Or how do you keep it bootstrapped and keep all that ownership? Because the temptation is always, hey, let's go take investor dollars, right? Or let's go bring in somebody so we have enough money, we can take it to market. And yet you give up control and you give up some ownership. So how did you balance that or what made you decide to bootstrap it? And how has that been over the over the life of the company so far?
0: Um. Well, it's hasn't been f- that much fun, but <laughs> I did get two grants, as I said, small, very small. And mm. working with students has been great because mm. they love the the clean mission, the mm. and they love the dog concept.
1: Mm.
0: So I, I've gotten the best help from students. It's been so gratifying, and it really and refreshing and they they're great and a lot of students get credit for cool. what for helping engineering students social media marketing pr so oh, it's been awesome. really helpful yeah
1: gives them an opportunity to to kind of learn on the company from the ground up and uh, gives you uh, access to a lot of good talent so that's that's a great match so <laughs> okay well as we wrap up the podcast episode i always have two questions i always hit on at the end of it so all the first one is always, so what was the, the worst business decision you ever made? And what the idea with that is always, you know, we kind of hear the highlights. You're going to hear, Hey, I did this, I did this, and it worked out and now we're on to this. And, you know, it always sounds like you had the highlight reels and you watch the movie or you hear, or, you know, read the book or the TV show. It always sounds like things just magically always work out, which is very seldom if ever how a reality works out. So with that, what's the worst business decision you've made?
0: I think, um, Early on, I just assumed that everyone was motivated by the same thing, meaning I undervalued human capital. Mm. I thought everyone was motivated by money. Just pay them more, they'll be fine, which is so not true. Mm. I think you really, I need to really get to know everyone that works with me, for me, and know what motivates each person separately. Like some some people like quality of life. Some mm. people want a title. Not everyone just needs to be paid more. I I made that mistake.
1: Okay, no, that's a fair mistake, and it was probably especially if you're to look at um, you know, and I don't know if I ever include myself or not in the millennial generation, but there's almost seems like there's been a shift in the marketplace for. A while was, hey, I'm going to work with the same company for 50, you know 30 or 40 or 50 years. I'll get my pension. I'll get my retirement, and that'll be great. And now you're almost having a generational shift of now it's more a purpose driven or you know, I have other things, or I want to, I'm not working, I don't want to work my whole life, I want to have a balance, and so uh, certainly, I think, uh, I'm sure a point that resonates with a lot of people is to, you have to find what uh, motivates, and what, uh, what incentivizes different people, and then structure, if they're a good employee, you know, things to to incentivize them, and what will get them to, to perform the best, so I think that's a great insight. So last question that I always ask is, so what, if you're to have a startup or a small, or somebody that's wanting to get into the startup or a small business has a good idea and just getting into it, what would be your one piece of advice for them?
0: Uh, one piece of advice, um, take stock of your emotional health. Hmm. Because the highs are really high and the lows are really low and it's very isolating. And you're going to have your friends and family, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. But complete strangers will say, that's terrible. I'm not paying for that. Like that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And then you just have to really keep going, but know when to take some advice and and maybe tweak it and change it a little bit, Mm. but take stock of your emotional health.
1: No, I think that's great. And that's part of the, the motivation of this podcast is, is, Having worked with a lot of startups and done it myself, there's absolutely those highs and lows in one week. It seems like everything's going great, and you made a breakthrough, and it's going to be the best, you know, best month ever. And then it seems like the following week everything is falling apart, and then the next week you're going to have, you know, somebody that's, you know, you know, some other thing that motivates you. And it's just there is a lot of highs and lows, and it can be a bit uh, lonely or, you know, lonely or isolated in the sense that a lot of people don't know what you're going through. You know, if you haven't been through the startup, you haven't been through the small business and you're, um, you're doing, you know, people don't get what you're going through. So there's certainly a good, a good, uh, that's good advice in the sense that uh, people need to make sure that they are prepared for that before they, they jump in. So, well, Great. With that, we'll kind of wrap up, wrap up the podcast, but I wanted to give you a chance if people are wanting to either get to know more about your product or, you know, sign up for pre-orders or, you know, wait, watch for the launch or uh, keep an eye on it or reach out to you if they, if they want to get involved, what's the best way to uh, connect up with you or your product?
0: Well, the website is um, com or my email is anna at curbicus.com.
1: Perfect. We'll certainly uh, make sure to, to let people know to reach out to you. And uh, for those of you that are uh, new, to the, or new to the startup or the small business arena and are needing help with patents or trademarks, certainly feel free to reach out to us at Miller IP Law. And we'd love to help startups and small businesses for all of those along your journey. Good luck with your journey. At, uh, get prepared for the ups and downs and make sure to check your mental health. Thanks again, Anna, for coming on. It's been great to have you on. It's fun to hear about your story and look forward to uh, seeing how the, uh, the compostable, your compostable dog solution turns out. And hopefully it's a, a raging success and you're able to uh, change, the, uh, change the world and make it for the better.
0: Thank you. Thanks so much.
1: Perfect.